0: Welcome into episode 19 of the Whoopig Weekly Podcast, your weekly source for all things Arkansas Razorbacks. Episode 19 is brought to you by University Traditions. Go check out their amazing hat designs and their different collections they have. Go check out their favorite collections. They're pretty sweet. I uh, have one myself that I, is almost a daily wearer for me, so you can check them out and use promo code VSN15 to receive 15% off your order. That's University Traditions. You can find them on Twitter or just give them a quick Google and they'll pop up. So there you go. So with that will jump into some Arkansas football news where spring practice is here. Arkansas has get, got practices kicked off. They're on break this week for spring break. But, you know, a few tidbits we've gotten from practice so far is we've seen transfer receiver Andrew Armstrong that came in out of uh, a small Texas A&M junior college look pretty good in man-to-man workouts where he's displayed good footwork and planning, cutting, and juking. So that'll be some good depth there for wide receiver, don't you think?
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. I uh, It's kind of the way of the way of the world now with the, the transfer portal and stuff. You try to find those diamonds in the rough where you can to kind of come in and help give you a little bit of depth there, especially with some of the receiver talent that we lost um, after last year with some of the senior transfers that had come in. Um, But – it's always good to hear good news about guys that are playing well in practice and um, kind of excited to see how that translates into like the spring game and, and see how they actually do in, in real live action and stuff.
0: That's very true. It is just spring, but uh, another good note from spring practice is we have DBs. Lorando Johnson and Jalen Lewis, one of those was the transfer that came in from Baylor. They've had some good practice so far, getting some interceptions in practice and, you know, looking pretty decent according to some of the coaching staff. So, you know, that's good news to hear after the struggles we had last year.
1: Yeah, that's another spot that we really needed some added depth there as well. And I think that was one of the main positions that we really were successful at addressing, especially getting the the late transfer um, with Singletary coming from – from Georgia, um, I'm I'm curious to kind of see some of the packages we put together to get those guys on the field. If we start playing some some more defensive back heavy looks, um, and I'm also kind of curious to see, you know, if we if we start changing up some of our schemes and having a few more blitz packages that involve some of the defensive backs, um, especially hearing some of these good things in practice, like you're saying with interceptions and whatnot. So, excited to see how we utilize some of that talent that we brought in.
0: Yeah, I know. I think that our new coordinators are wanting to go on a, a more 4-3 heavy front with being able to get more pressure on the front, so they'll put more pressure on that back end, so hopefully some of these guys can step up and, you know, be able to have some good leadership on the, the back end. Very true. So now we'll jump over to some Arkansas basketball news. As you know, we've talked about, it's March tournament times here, and Arkansas is, you know, doing pretty well so far, so their first round of the the tournament, they – a round of 64, Arkansas came in as an eight seed and played nine seed Illinois, where they got the win in that game, 73-63. to 63. Ricky Council led the team in scoring with 18 points, followed by Devo Davis with 16 points, and Anthony Black with 12 points. You had Ricky Council also lead the team in rebounding with 10 rebounds, followed by Makai Mitchell with 7, and Devo Davis and Anthony Black with 6 rebounds apiece as well. In this game, our team shot 38.1% from the field, going 24 of 63, 27.3% from three-point range, going three of 11, and 75.9% from the free-throw line, going 22 of 29. And in this game, you had Ricky Council come out and have a, have a double-double. Um, Arkansas forced 17 turnovers in this game, had 12 steals and four blocks. So, you know, what's your take on this first game of the tournament?
1: Um, biggest thing that sticks out to me is free throws. Um, and we can talk about the, the game after this one as well here here shortly. But we we've, we've come out into the tournament and, and actually started hitting our free throws at a little bit higher percentage rate than we did kind of throughout the regular season, especially in conference play, the late the late part of conference play. Um so that's a that's a much needed improvement. It couldn't really have come at a better time. Um, so that's a big one that stands out to me. Obviously, Ricky Council was was big on the boards and big on scoring. He had a really good game here. Um, and then, I mean, just just active hands on defense. I think this is this game was a real testament to the length that we have pretty much at all positions. Twelve steals is pretty impressive, along with four blocks. Um, so that's just active hands, that extra length, and just the athleticism overall. I think really kind of helped us helped us shine in this game and pull out a win. It wasn't the prettiest game, honestly. I mean, a, a 10 point win sounds nice, but it, it was a little bit closer than that realistically um, before kind of that the last few seconds of the game that that lead kind of stretched out. but re- real true testament to defense winning your ball games.
0: Yeah, it's good to see the reemergence of Ricky Council. He kind of have had a little, you know, few games skid there where he, he was struggling, but to see him come back and have a double-double lead us in points and rebounding, but also, you know, the team shooting that mid-75% from free throw line is what we've been wanting all season. You know, they missed seven. You know, you'd like to see it closer in those 80s, but, I mean, I'll take 75% compared to what we, you know, had shot several times during the season of 60s, 50% free throws.
1: Yeah, it's it's just a massive improvement. I I don't really know how else to describe it other than that. I mean, th- they got to the line quite a few times as well. They they put up twenty nine shots from the line, so so had had several attempts. You know, made twenty two of those. So it's it's not much to complain about there as far as free throws, which is, it's just a a lot lot better turnaround at the perfect time, I guess.
0: Yeah. And so with that, we'll jump over to some Arkansas women's basketball where our women are playing in the WNIT. Unfortunately, they missed out on that March Madden or that NCAA tournament bid, but, you know, they still got some postseason play to go. And, you know, hopefully they'll do well. And, you know, with that being said, in the first round, Arkansas won its matchup 69 to 47 over Louisiana Tech. Um, You had Chrissy Card lead the team in scoring with 17 points, followed by Samara Spencer and Aaron Barnum tied with 14 points each. You had Taylor Poffenbarger lead the team in rebounding with 11, followed by Samara Spencer and Aaron Barnum with six rebounds each, and Chrissy Carr with five rebounds as well. In this game, you had the team shooting 38.7% from the field, going 24 of 62, 28.6% from the three-point range, going 8 of 28, and 86.7% from the free-throw line, going 13 of 15. In this game, they had seven blocks, forced 11 turnovers, and had 20 assists.
1: Good showing from the Lady Razorbacks here. I mean, it's fairly obvious they they kind of outmatched Louisiana Tech uh, across the board here. Just a little bit better size. I, I I mean, realistically, I don't think we shot the ball that well. Um, you know, decent decent clip, thirty eight point or thirty eight point seven percent, and a right under thirty percent on the threes. Did well from the free throw line. Only had fifteen attempts, but I mean, it that's all it really took. I mean, they they won this game handily.
0: Yeah, that's true. And it's one of those things, too. You know, I think Arkansas was one of the first teams selected for the NIT as they just barely missed out on the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, it's easily, you know, to say that we're probably one of the top teams in the tournament as, you know, we keep going through the tournament here. And, you know, with this win, they they had another matchup, which we'll cover here in a little bit. But, you know, as they they keep rolling.
1: Yeah, very true. I think they've got a good shot at, at making it pretty far in the WNIT for sure.
0: And then, so the game everybody's talking about after the weekend, you know, I still, it it's still in dis- disbelief for me a little bit that we still won this game, but Arkansas had a second round matchup, a tough matchup at that with number one seed Kansas, the defending champs who, you know, a lot of people had picking to be the, you know, next team to repeat champions since Florida back in 2006. Um, but, Arkansas knocked off number one seed Kansas 72-71 to 71 in a close nail-biter game. And, you know, if you're going to credit anybody, you know, I don't think we would won this would have won this game without Devo Davis. He led us in scoring with 25 points. You know, Ricky Council had 21 points and Walsh had 10. You know, another guy that, you know, was key in this victory is you had Kamani Johnson lead the team in rebounding with 10, with a majority of those being offensive rebounds. You had Devo Davis with eight rebounds and council with six as well. In this game, you had the team shooting forty one point four percent from the field going twenty-four of 20 percent from the free throw range from the three-point range going three of fifteen, and eighty point eight percent from the free throw line going twenty-one of twenty-six. But like I said, what a game by Devo Davis. You know, March Devo is for real.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm not sure I've ever seen somebody especially in college ball, take a game over quite like he did in the second half of this one. I mean, I think at one point he, he single-handedly got us um, through a base, basically an 11-0 run for us um, to kind of cut the lead back down and get us back in this game. We were, we were down by 13 at one point, if I remember correctly, in the second half. And I think he scored 11 straight <laughs> out of that 11-0 run. And I, I like I said, it, it was almost surreal to watch. Um, him put the team on his back like that I mean he after the game he was he was extremely emotional he, he ended up fouling out kind of in the the last few minutes of this game so he had to kind of coach from the sidelines but he did a great job of still still showing that leadership even when he wasn't able to to play anymore in this game um, and help the guys kind of keep, keep it rolling that last few minutes to get the win but he was extremely emotional after the game I've I've never really seen him quite like that it's really true testament of somebody really going out there, leaving it all on the floor, not having anything left in the tank. I mean, it's one of the best performances in college basketball I think I've ever seen.
0: Glad to have that
1: guy on our team, man.
0: Yeah. I mean, and you, you listen to what he really said, you know, and I think we've seen this all year, you know, how this team struggled and they're finally putting it together here in March, you know, where guys are starting to gel together, guys are starting to, you know, flow. And, you know, I think it's just a testament like, you know to what work this whole team's put in and you know that must does know what he's doing even though you know some people throughout the season were frustrated with him but you know there's no no better coach I'd rather have in March than coach Muss.
1: yeah you really got to trust the process of the must bus, man I mean it it's it's a tournament time where he really shines I, you, you got to give him a lot of credit too this was a coaching masterpiece I know um Charles Barkley that was that was one of the the uh, highest compliments he had kind of after the game and the the post game interviews and whatnot that that they reviewed on the uh, TNT broadcast was just how much of a flawless coaching performance it was nearly. I mean, I'm not knocking the guy at all, but, but must had to bench Nick Smith pretty much the entire second half, just because that was the right decision. I mean, just to play the guys that had the hot hand at the time. And I mean, I know that's may not have been what he wanted to do, but, It's what worked, and he pressed the right buttons at the right time. It really was just a coaching masterpiece, as well as Devo just carrying the team. Ricky Council hit some clutch free throws late in the game. When Devo fouled out, Ricky kind of stepped up and filled his shoes for the last few minutes. Um, And then realistically, we talked about it about the Illinois game, but we shot great from the free throw line, and that really was the difference maker in this game. We won by one point. You missed a couple of those free throws, you know, it's it's the difference in winning or losing this game. I think Kansas kind of fell into a little bit of what we'd seen earlier in the year, and they, they struggled from the line a little bit, especially late in this game, and that left the door open for us to an extent. So free throws are huge.
0: I was about to say, whatever they're doing too, you know, they need to keep at it. Cause you know, you saw them, you know, increase the free throw percentage in this game by 5% at that 80 mark, you know, whatever they're doing, you know, that keep it up, you know, these are some crucial free throws that, like you said, came in clutch late in the game, especially Ricky council. The one play that sticks out to me is, you know, he, he went up had two shots, made his first free throw, missed that second one, but got his own rebound and went back up and got the foul again. So, you know, big on him by stepping up, but, you know, Kamani too had some big key rebounds in this game. And, you know, his four points that he scored in this game came in clutch. I know there's one big basket where he got the rebound, went back up and, you know, scored, you know, late in the game to help, you know, pad our lead a little bit.
1: Yeah. It was kind of in those crunch time minutes. Um I, I w- I'll say one thing. I, I don't want to knock the, the effort that the team put in, but to win games against number one seeds, you have to have a little bit of luck as well. And we did. We had, kind of like you are saying, uh, Ricky able to get his own offensive rebound after the free throw miss. That ball pinballed off, like, four different players, um, a couple of ours and a couple of theirs, and somehow found its way into Ricky's hands. And he was asked about it after the game, and he was like, I, at that moment I didn't really know what to do. I didn't know if I needed to dribble it back out or go back up with it. And he was like, I just – kind of had a wide open lane to the hole went back up with it and luckily drew another foul and hit both those free throws so there was a little bit of luck involved and you you got to have that to to beat number one seeds and, and win some of those clutch games you so it, it was really nice to kind of see the ball bounce our way in a couple of possessions and then obviously you can't discredit the effort that the whole team showed i mean walsh played great his plus or minus in this game was like a 12 which is just astronomical numbers um as far as plus minus goes but it was just a whole team effort kind of centered around Devo and Ricky scoring, but whole team played great in this game.
0: It's very true. And it's like, you mentioned that the benching of Nick Smith, I think, you know, I think he's just struggled a little bit as he's still working his way back and fully, you know, encompassed in the offense. But, you know, I think here in these next few, you know, in this next game, I don't want to see a few games because, you know, it's a game of the time at this time of the year, but, you know, it, it makes me wonder he's due a big game here soon, you know, you got to makes you wonder, you know, is he gonna? They got back, refocus, get ready for Vegas, and you know, does he show out there? We'll see.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm. He's definitely one of those guys that's just a, a half step away from having a breakout game again. I mean, he had a really good game against Georgia earlier in the year, and that kind of offensive spark can come out of him at any given time. Um, so you just got to get let let him get his opportunities out there, and if the shots not falling. I think you know, kind of to most of his credit, don't be scared to take him out of the game for a little bit, kind of see what else is working out there. I, I th- I've heard reports that his knee is swelling a little bit again. So I think he, he may not be 100% healthy and that may have a little bit of uh hindrance on his actual game performance too. So don't want to, you know, talk talk down on the guy too hard. He's, he's dealing with a lot. He was emotional after the game as well in his interview. If you haven't watched that, definitely go, go look it up, kind of listen to what he had to say. But puts things in a lot of perspective on the adversity that he's overcome throughout the year.
0: Yeah, I know he said that, you know, they he missed they missed, he missed practice on Friday. But, you know, like you said, that interview, you know, he's just talking about how, you know, all year he 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 worked to come back. This is what he worked for because he knew this team was special and can make a run. So, you know, I think a lot of fans, you know, are just saying he came here for the publicity, and that's about it. You know, from what I saw in that interview, he, he is emotional. He wants to be a Razorback. He wants to help this team succeed. And, you know, it, it sucks that he didn't, you know, get to perform as well as he'd like to. But, you know, keep your head up, keep working, and, you know, it'll come.
1: It's it's just that much more motivation to keep working. Very true.
0: Now we'll jump back over to Arkansas women's basketball as they took on Stephen F. Austin in the second round of the WNITs where they got the win in this game 60-37. to 37. You had Samara Spencer lead the team in scoring with 27 points, followed by Michaela Daniels with 11 points, and Jersey Wolfenbarger with 9 points. Riley Langerman led the team in rebounding with 10, followed by Sailor Proffenbarger with 9, and Michaela Daniels with 7. In this game, the team shot 32.1% from the field, going 18 of 56, 33.3% from the three-point range, going 8 of 24, and 59.3% from the free-throw line, going 16 of 27 you know, got the win in this game, you know, I think this is like a, a very similar to that first game where, you know, we were able to just outmatch Stephen F. Austin, um, you know, with, you know, being able to get that win with, you know, lower percentages from shooting percentages, you know, you hate to see 59.3% from the free throw line, you know, that's barely making half your free throws, but still made my, being able to get that win shows a lot here.
1: Yeah, one thing that sticks out to me here is they did get to the line 27 times, um, which is definitely a tick up from the previous game, where they only got to the line 15 times. Um, so several more shot attempts from the free throw line helps. Um, but, yeah, I mean, they, they didn't shoot the greatest percentages all around. 33% from three is not terrible. Making eight of those, and that, that helped. Obviously, uh, Samar Spencer had a pretty solid game, dropping 27. But, yeah, definitely a testament to – Kind of our size. We had several rebounds, a lot of offensive rebounds. Um just just kind of an outmatched scenario with Steven at Boston.
0: Yeah. So now Arkansas, they'll move on to the round of 16 to face Texas Tech on Friday. So another home game at Bud Walton and the WNIT as they try to move on to the the essentially Elite Eight of the WNIT. So, you know, we hope the best for them and we'll see what happens on Friday. Um, now we'll do a quick preview as Arkansas men's basketball is taking on UConn this Thursday in uh, Sweet 16 at 615, where, you know, they're a, you know, a good team that, you know, I don't hate the matchup with. But this is going to be an interesting game for sure as Arkansas has made it to its third straight Sweet 16. So what's your take on this game?
1: Well, you got to be able to handle their bigs down low. Um, I can't remember the big guy's name to remind me on that that UConn has. Oh gosh, I'd have to look it up. Can't remember. They got a good big down low, and then they've got several good shooters from three. Um, so eliminating the, some of the down low touches. Obviously, we had success early in the year against like Oscar Shiway, for example, on containing him. So kind of utilizing that same mentality on closing down the paint first, and then being able to close out on their perimeter shooters. I don't think UConn's faced a team that's F, that's as athletic or as long as us at the guard position. So I'm fairly confident that we'll be able to um, at least have some success on closeouts on three ball shots, um, just kind of with the length that we have. So, I, like you said, I think we actually match up with UConn fairly well. We're more athletic than they are, so I'm I'm excited to see if we can get some some easy transition buckets and stuff. Um, that's kind of critical to our success. But UConn's a good team. They're playing they're playing really good ball at the right time. Um, I think it's really uh, it's kind of this time of year it really all depends on who who wants it the most you know what i mean uh, you got to get some of those lucky breaks to go your way but but who really goes out there and plays the scrappiest ball fights for those loose balls and kind of takes the game into their own hands
0: yeah that that the guy you're thinking about is Adama Sanogo you know he's a yeah. forward you know he's averaging 17.3 a game shooting 60% from the field goal percentage and 78% from the line so you know, he's a guy that, you know, if you let him, he'll eat you up down low. So I think this is going to be where Coach Mus is going to have to come up with a masterful game plan focused around, you know, Kamani, the Mitchells, you know, possibly Jalen Graham, guys that can get down, get down low and you kind of body him up like uh, similar to how Arkansas, you know, was able to kind of shut down Sheboy when we took down Kentucky at Rupp this, earlier in the season. So I think you're going to have to see, see some of that, but, you know, another – thing, you know, I heard somebody talking about is with this big guy, you know, with us being such a transition team, if we can play fast, get him a little bit of tired because you know he's gonna have, you know, run the court, you know, he's gonna have to take some breaks. And I think that's one spot where we have some depth at that forward spot with Kamani, the Mitchell twins and Jalen Graham, if need be, even Walsh, you know, the guys that can play down low with him. So I think we have an advantage there if we can kind of maybe get him a little tired. And get him worn out down inside.
1: Yeah, I completely agree with that. Especially if you can, you know, if you can drive to the paint enough, maybe get him into early foul trouble. That could be huge for us. I know, um, kind of similar to last year's matchup with Gonzaga. We got, um, oh man, I can't remember his name either. It wasn't Drew Timmy. It was the the real tall guy.
0: Yeah, I'm blanking on his name as well.
1: Oh man, that's gonna drive me crazy. But got him into early foul trouble, and, and in my opinion, that was one of the the most critical factors on us being able to upset Gonzaga last year. So kind of hoping we kind of utilize that, a similar game plan. I think that would be a very similar style to what we want to play when we play UConn on Thursday.
0: Yeah. Chet Holmgren's the guy you're thinking about.
1: Yep. Chet Holmgren. That's the one.
0: Yeah. So, yeah, big matchup coming up. You know, we'll, like we gave you the quick preview. So we'll we'll see what happens. You know, Arkansas is, you know, not favored in this game. They've got UConn by three and a half in this game favored. So uh, we'll see what that line goes to as we get closer to game time. Um, but, hey, you know, let them keep counting Arkansas out and we'll keep proving them wrong.
1: I love it. I don't mind being an underdog, especially with the talent that's on this team. I think they want to go out there and prove everybody wrong for sure. With that said, we'll uh, shift gears here and look at some Arkansas Gymnastics. Um, Arkansas Gymnastics kind of had a tournament-style meet with – Auburn, Georgia, and Missouri on March 18th. Um, they competed in the SEC Championship and scored a program high, 196.825 for the SEC Championships. Lost to Auburn and Missouri, but picked up the win against Georgia, uh, kind of in that that style of the bracket. The bracket. Um, on the vault, we scored a 49.425. On the bars, we scored a 49.175. On the beam, we scored a 49.050. And on the floor routine, we scored a forty-nine point one seven five. Tammy Weaver, Nora Flatley, Frankie Price, and Lauren Williams all scored individual highs on vault with nine point nine o's piece. So definitely a few uh, high notes there that that came out of that meet.
0: Yeah, that's true. I know they'll be competing. We'll we'll uh, briefly cover it as in the upcoming events, but they're you know be in the NCAA tournament you know coming up in this weekend. So we'll see. Uh, how that turns out as well. Then we'll bounce over to some Arkansas tennis as Arkansas women's tennis took on Ole Miss on March 17th, where they got that match win four to three. Arkansas men's tennis took on A&M on the 18th, where they dropped that match five to two. And then Arkansas women's tennis took on Mississippi state on the 19th, where they got that match
1: win seven to zero. Women are kind of picking it back up. Uh, Got a couple of wins that they desperately needed for sure. Um, Men's is still kind of struggling in conference play, but turn it around at any time, man. Yeah. is a fickle game. And then
0: as we, we talked about last week, you know, Arkansas Swimming Diving was, you know, competing in the NCAA Championships last week. And, you know, Arkansas ended up taking 28th place, you know, not not the greatest, but hopefully maybe they can have a good offseason, come back and, you know, be able to compete, you know, next season.
1: Very true. You got a spot to build on, man. It's not horrible. Um, I mean, that, that basically essentially puts you fairly close to breaking that top 25 in the nation, which is never a bad place to be. But definitely wouldn't like seeing that number a little bit higher. Yeah. We'll uh, look at some Arkansas softball here, um, kind of getting the SEC play in full swing. Arkansas had their their weekend series with Alabama start on March 18th. Um, they lost the opener in a close game, 2-0. to zero. Janice Dels got the start. She went five innings. She gave up two runs on four hits. She had two strikeouts and gave up two walks as well. Um, She did have three three one-two-three-out innings, Um, so there's a few highlight innings in there for her. She was relieved by Callie Turner, who pitched one inning, gave up one hit, had a strikeout and a walk. Um, Arkansas had two hits on the day, one by Reagan Johnson and one by Hannah Gamble, so Alabama was pretty successful in slowing down our offense in this game. And we did come back out on the 19th and uh, won the second game of this series, five to three, where Robin Heron got the start. She pitched two innings, gave up two hits, two runs, had two strikeouts and four walks. So had a few extra walks there that I think was half the reason she got pulled a little bit early. She was relieved by Callie Turner, who pitched two innings, gave up three hits, zero runs, had one strikeout, two walks. And then Janice Dells came in, uh, pitched the remaining three innings, Gave up three hits, one run. She had five strikeouts and only one walk. Um, she did work around a bases loaded situation in the bottom of the seventh uh, to lead the Hogs to a win. So kind of getting out of a pickle there to hang on to that 5-3 lead. So that that ended up being a clutch win. And then um, turned around on, on the 20th where we won this game in ten innings, two to one. And Chanice uh, Dills was the workhorse here. She got the start and pitched all ten innings. Um, she gave up five hits, only one run. She had four walks, and she had eight strikeouts. Um, she pitched 172 pitches in this game, so a phenomenal outing from Chinese where she, we really kind of rode her through this whole game to squeak out the win and win the series. Um, so, uh, again, she worked around a bases loaded jam in the bottom of the 10th to kind of hang on for us and get us the win here. Uh, Ryland Hedgecock was kind of the player of the game in a way, um, having the go-ahead solo home run in the 10th inning. Um, not wasn't a walk off, obviously being the uh, the away team there, but really clutch hitting by Ryland Hedgecock there at the end of that game. What's your thoughts on the series here, Caleb?
0: Yeah, tough series. I know this is you know we we have we've had tough luck, you know especially in playing in Tuscaloosa, um, but it was good to see us get that series win, especially that game last night. If you didn't get to see that, that what a pitcher's duel that was between Delts and Montana Fouts for Alabama. You know. Just, you know, you can see from the score and the fact that it went to 10 innings that, you know, they were just both hot and um and w- were feeling it that day. So, you know, to see Arkansas battle back in, in that rubber match game to win it in that 10 innings, especially with a go ahead solo home run, but also the fact that they also, not only did she work around that bases loaded jam in the bottom of the 10th, she also work, worked around a bases loaded jam in the bottom of the ninth as well. So. You know, what a game by her to just come out and, you know, like you said, 172 pitches, you know, even though softball pitchers can go longer than, you know, like a baseball pitcher, but still 172 pitches is a lot. So, you know, she's got some well-earned rest over this next week until next series.
1: Very true. Um, I, I you kind of mentioned her, but I think that Montana for for Alabama, she pitched the full game as well, and I think she threw like 175 or 177 pitches. So, combined between the two of them, there was well over 300 pitches thrown in this game, which is, uh, just frankly a lot. <laughs>
0: yeah, very true. All right, with the softball girls coming off on a big series win in Alabama, you know, we'll move on to, you know, Arkansas baseball as they opened up SEC play this weekend and as they're winding up their home stretch of, you know, the whole month of March, you know, they started playing at home February 21st and they played through March all the way through today on March 3rd, 21st. So, you know, great home stand for Arkansas as, you know, they they still have only two losses on the season, so but they kicked off SEC play this weekend as they took on Auburn March 17th for the first game of the series as they won that game 7-2. to two. You had a little bit of switching up on the pitching staff and rotation as Hunter Holland got the start on the Friday night game where he went six innings, allowed six hits, two runs, had three strikeouts, three walks on 94 pitches. And he was also relieved in this game by Hagan Smith, he Hagan came in, gave us 3 innings with 0 hits, 0 runs, 5 strikeouts, 2 walks on 44 pitches. And in this game when you talk about hitting, you know, we kept up our hot streak. You know, Brady Slavens had a 3-run home run in the 4th inning, which also has allowed Slavens to become um the most active SEC hitters with 160 career RBI. So that's uh, you know, a great thing to see you know, slavings be able to do so. You know, what do you think with this first uh, matchup of the weekend?
1: Well, I obviously it was a little bit of uncharted territory having Hunter Holland start on the Friday night game. I think Van Horn kinda came out and said the reason behind why we're doing this um is to kind of let Hagen Smith fill that role of closer, long reliever, um, if you need him in a pinch kind of thing. Um almost like a Kevin copps style wild card kind of pitcher um, using where you need him, especially kind of in that closer role. He, he's closed some in years past. I know he had he closed quite a few games last year, so I don't think that was anything new to him. Obviously he had an amazing outing in the in the three innings that he came in and relieved with a zero hit zero runs and five strikeouts. So he he did great kind of filling that role. Um, and I think the intent there is to be able to utilize him in more than one game. Uh, especially in conference play, where you know you're you're really needing that consistent pitching from game to game to try to win these series, since the series are so critical. Um, so I I actually really liked that decision by Van Horn to kind of shake things up. Um, you know, you let Hagen be a starter pretty much all through non-conference series, and then once you get to conference, um, kind of change the pace a little bit. So those SEC teams aren't quite as sure what to expect. You know, you. you you show all this game film and stuff of kind of how we played and who we started and who to expect as the relievers. And then he flipped a switch right there before conference play and kind of threw a curveball against you know some of these conference opponents. I, I think it'll take a few series for everybody to really understand how that, that rotation is going to be. So thought that was a good move by Van Horn for sure.
0: Yeah, I think that's you see that's an experience one of those experienced decisions he he made, um, and I know one of the first questions the media had whenever you know he he decided to make this change and he addressed it pretty quick. You know, the first thing was he said, "I'm going to tell you first thing, Hagan's not hurt." You know, that's I think where everybody's mind went when he first said that he wasn't going to you know start in the rotation for this Auburn weekend, and so. But it's like you said, we've got to fill that role, especially with Tiger going down, you know, being out for a little bit. You know, you got to have somebody with some experience to be able to close out, especially when it comes to SEC play, um, because that competition level ramps up real fast once you move into conference play. Um, And so we'll jump into our next matchup of the weekend where they took on Auburn for the Saturday game, trying to clinch the series here where they did, getting a win 9-3. to Will McIntyre got the start this game going six innings, allowing five hits, three runs, six strikeouts, two walks on 91 pitches. And he was relieved by Dylan Carter, who went three innings, one hit, zero runs, three strikeouts, and on 54 pitches. So you see a little bit there, you know, we've got some guys developing that can come in and relieve. You know, McIntyre is continuing to play pretty well for Arkansas. You know, you like your starters to come in and give you those six innings. That way you have minimal relief innings you have to worry about.
1: Yeah, it was a really great job by McIntyre. Um, you know, he gave up for five hits and three runs, but he actually pitched a really great game this game. I mean, um, the three runs, I think two of those were solo shots, um, just where he barely missed his spots on a couple of pitches. Um, that um, They were both by the same Auburn player. I don't, I'm not going to be able to tell you the name off the top of my head, but he just kind of had a hot hitting streak there. But uh, outside of him, McIntyre basically carved up their entire lineup. Um, so he, he pitched really, really well that game. And then Dylan Carter came in and pitched just as well, if not better for the three innings he appeared. So you got a guy kind of developing there in Carter um, that's, that you're going to be able to rely on down the stretch. And that's, that's really what you need. I think we, you're finally starting to see some of these, these arms in the bullpen start to kind of show up and get their sea legs under them in gameplay. And it's really backing up what Van Horn stated early on in the year where he feels like this is one of the best pitching staffs he's ever had as far as depth and talent and all that goes. And this Auburn series really highlighted that, I think.
0: Yeah. And then when you talk offensively, you know, you had Kendall Diggs continue his hot play that he's had here recently where he, you know, he got things started in this game with a two out base clearing double scoring three runs in this game. Um, You had Tavian Yosenberger have a two run shot in the bottom of the second. Um and then, you know, like I said, Kendall Diggs continuing his hot streak, he finished the day with a team leading two hit two hits and four RBIs. So, you know, our offense is still on display. We're still able to uh, maintain some of that consistency into the first weekend of SEC play.
1: Yeah, very true. I- team's hitting pretty well right now i mean you've seen it, it was expected some of the averages going to go down some of these guys that were like in the absolute stratosphere of their their batting average um josenberger um wagner and then boarfin obviously were were really batting out of the atmosphere for sure And they're coming back down to earth a little bit but definitely definitely not to the extent where we're losing offensive production and that's really all you can ask for so Good, yeah. things, good things rolling there.
0: Very true. And then as you roll into, you know, the Sunday game to get the sweep, you know, Arkansas managed to get the series sweep, you know, a great way to start out SEC play, getting that sweep, winning this game 5-0. to zero. The surprising name that got the start in this game was Cody Adcock. You know, up until this game, he'd been a guy that you brought in to relieve, give you some, you know, big relief stretches until you brought in a closer. But, you know, with Van Horn, Shifting things around, you know, shaking things up. You know, you had Cody Adcock get the start in this game where he went six innings, allowing only one hit, zero runs, six strikeouts, one walk on 82 pitches. And then he was relieved by Austin Ledbetter, who came in, gave us two innings, two hits, zero runs on 35 pitches. Gage Wood came in for a third of an inning had one walk on 12 pitches and then Hagan Smith came in to close it out with the final two thirds of an inning with one strikeout and seven pitches. So, you know, I think, I don't think you can ask for a better outing from a guy that normally relieves to come out and get a start and pitch six scoreless innings. So.
1: Yeah, he was impressive to say the least. I, I think he he stepped up and fit that role a lot more than I think even the coaching staff was expecting. Um, I halfway, thought that Hagen actually might get the start in this game kind of shaking things up a little bit more. Um, so I, I know they had, I don't think they had announced that Adcock was actually starting until the day prior or something like that. Um, it, if I remember correctly, it wasn't announced before the series started, but with Hagen not throwing just an absolute ton in game one, I thought they might utilize him to start in game three, but didn't really require it. So he only had to pitch seven pitches in that game to kind of, Close things out when Gage Wood seemed like he was struggling to find his, his spots a little bit, but overall, really great series against Auburn. Um, another highlight, kind of from the end of that 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 last game, Jared Wagner hit a absolute blast, four hundred seventy seventy foot three run home run that cleared pretty much everybody in the in the hog pen. I mean, that's one of those home runs that those you got you got there late to get in the back of the hog pen and you still got a home run ball. He hit that one so far, so. That was a pretty cool highlight play that I've seen some, some clips on going around social media and stuff, so drawing some attention there with how big of a home run that was.
0: Yeah, that's true. And I think it's, you know, kind of switching back to that pitching, you know, that was, you know – I feel like a very efficient six innings by Adcock, you know, he only had 82 pitches through those six innings. So, you know, if they wanted to, the staff probably could have let him go longer, you know, but with him getting this being his first start, they probably wanted to ease him in going, you know, more than just two to three innings, you know, he went six. So, you know, that's pretty efficient to come in your first start and have six scoreless innings on only 82 pitches.
1: Yeah. Heck, I think a lot of it really was, you had such good production out of Hunter Holland and Hagen in game one and then Will McIntyre and Dylan Carter in game two where those were the only four pitchers that had actually been on the bump through those first two games. I, I think a little bit of it, honestly, was just to try to get guys a couple of innings at work and just to kind of keep them in game rhythm. Because, I mean, you know you're going to need them in future games where you might have some of your starters struggle a little bit. So just getting those guys, those reps, and those those in-game experience it's pretty critical. So I, like you said, I think you could have left Adcock in there for another inning or two, but probably was a wise decision with a, I think we had a four or five run lead at that point, just to go ahead and get a few more guys, some, some reps.
0: Yeah, that's true. And it's like one of those things like, you know, they're talking about it today as we'll, we'll get to it in a minute. Um, Arkansas had their midweek game against Southeastern Missouri state state where they end up getting a run rule game. But uh, it, it's like, they're saying, you know, the, these run rule games are great and all, but, you know, on the flip side of that, you'd like to see these games go the full length. Just that way you can get some of those young guys in and let them get some in-game action because it's different than just – even though you're throwing line, pitching against your, your own squad, it's still different to get that in-game experience and, you know, that confidence booster that comes along with it.
1: Yeah, that's that's a good point. Well, with that said, I'll, I'll cover the stat line here against uh, Southeast Missouri State, who we played – Today, actually, earlier this afternoon, we won twelve to two. Kind of like you said, we re- ended up run rolling them in the seventh inning. Um, ben Bobby got the start. He pitched four innings, gave up one hit, one run. He had three walks and five strikeouts. He only threw seventy three pitches, um, and then he was relieved by Zach Morris, and he only had to th- throw three innings. He had a pretty solid three inning outing. Um, only gave up three hits, um, one run, one walk on five strikeouts, and fifty one pitches. Um, seven players had hits. We we played a lot of our um, backups, I guess you could say. Um, so a lot of new faces out there. I think Jared Wagner was the only position player um, that actually started today that's in our normal normal lineup. So a lot of fresh faces out there on the field actually getting some reps. That's kind of what these midweek games are for. <laughs> and kind of to your point, I think I- I'm not so sure that they were really wanting to run rule this game. We had a monstrous, I think we had a nine or 10 inning or ten run inning in the uh, fourth, third or fourth I think it's inning.
0: Actually, that sixth inning we oh, was it the
1: sixth? About. Oh, it was the sixth inning. That's correct. Sixth inning took forever. <laughs> SEMO ended up using five different pitches in that inning just to try to find some outs. But um, it, it, you know, we we got to a point where we were able to win that game with a run rule and maybe hindered some of the uh, pitching reps that you could have got in there for for guys outside of Ben, Bobby, and Zach Morris. So. Kinda of like you said, it's 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 kind of a bittersweet thing sometimes when you get those run rules. Yeah, that's true. And, you know,
0: he, Zach Moore's, like you said, had a good inning. It, it's good to see him starting to get his feet back underneath him. You know, he at start of the year had a couple, you know, not so great innings where he came out and didn't even go full inning. But, you know, as they're easing him back in and, you know, getting that confidence back to him, you know, I think he's going to be key down the stretch, especially as we're, you know, starting to dive into SEC play here. He's going to be a, one of your more experienced guys that, you know, if it comes down to a clutch, you know, high tense game situation. He's a guy that you can bring in and have confidence knowing that he can come out there and get the job done.
1: Yeah, he's got a ton of experience that he brings to the team, and I, I think that just kind of helps from a leadership standpoint. you got a lot of new faces and and young guys on that team, so it, it'll help having his experience there, and then, like you said, just kind of getting the confidence back in him will help a lot. Like, see, he In my head, he's somebody that can kind of vie for that Sunday starter role if Adcock's not available or not pitching well you know if he needs to come in in the first or second inning if Adcock's struggling or whatever the case may be Zach Morris if he can kind of keep proving himself there and kind of get the trust back from the coaches he fits that role in my head pretty well Um, so be curious to kind of see how how he ends up kind of fitting into the uh, the rotation as the season progresses.
0: Yeah, that's true, and so, you know, you look at this game offensively, you have seven players have hits, you know, Arkansas had 11 hits on the day, scored 12 runs off those hits, you know, but like we we, we alluded to, you know, that sixth inning that we had, you know, I myself was listening to it on the radio on the way home, they're talking about how that, that inning had went, you know, been going on for 30 minutes, and that's a long inning for, you know, baseball, especially high-intensity SEC baseball, you know, even though this was a non-conference game, but just as we came off an SEC series that, you know, that flow that we were starting to get into. But I think, you know, our lineup went through the full lineup once and, you know, halfway through it again within that, you know, sixth inning alone.
1: They uh, they did a great job capitalizing on some walks, um, some wild pitches, being able to advance runners and things like that. So they they did all the little things well in that inning. And it really showed in the fact that Simo had a very tough time finding outs. We had some great at bats. Um, guys were getting, you know, into full counts, drawing those walks, getting good. I think it was Harold Cole had a uh, two doubles right down the third baseline in that inning alone, whenever he batted back around, I mean, they they looked almost identical. It was, it was kind of funny. The, uh, the success he had being able to pull the ball right down that third base line. Um, so guys were were hitting the ball well, squaring it up, hitting hitting shots hard. Um, so it was it was a good all around showing on offense from the whole team, especially for some of those guys that that needed to kind of get those reps. So this was a good game for us to to get a lot of that in.
0: Yeah, I think, you know, you mentioned it, Cole's a guy that I think we're still going to start seeing more playing time as, you know, that third base spot was, I think, one of our, if you had to point out, was a weak spot that we kind of had, you know, throughout this first little stretch of the season, trying to find the guy that can kind of take over there and be reliable there. And I think you're kind of starting to see that from Cole, you know, he got the start in this SEC series being, you know, the third baseman. So I think that's maybe something you see going forward.
1: Yeah, I know it's it's been kind of third base by committee between him, um, Caleb Callie, and then uh Jason Jones or I think it's Jason, yeah, Jason Jones. Jones. Yeah, Jason Jones, if I remember correctly. And I don't think any of those guys are a bad option at all. But I do think Harold Cole, um his defensive abilities are arguably one of the, one of the better out of those those three. And then I definitely think he's got he's been showing the best bat so far. Um, out of those three i know jason jones has had a couple of home runs or a home run at least and then so has caleb callie but i think just as far as consistency goes at the plate and being able to have um successful at bats whether it's getting deep into counts causing pitchers to throw a lot of pitches getting walks or just getting you know really really good strong base hits doubles things like that he's he's been the guy
0: yeah it's true so you know we'll 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 briefly touch on it you know Arkansas this this you know will finally go on the road this weekend as they open up their you know first road game and SEC is and it, it's it's going to be a tough one for sure because they'll be taking on the number one team in the country in LSU down in Baton Rouge so you know that's a game where you know we're gonna have to come ready to play and you know hopefully we can maybe it'd be nice to get the series win or down there even a sweep but you know hopefully we going down there against the number one team, we can at least get a win or two. So, so what do you think about that matchup for this upcoming this weekend?
1: Yeah, I, I think the biggest thing to look for here, um, I think we'll be able to hit the ball against LSU. I, I'm not sure at what clip. I mean, we've done a really good job on on getting successful um, innings where you're getting multiple hits in one inning. You're, you're not spacing your hits out between innings and not able to score, guys. So we've done a good job of that. I think if we can kind of carry that on through, that'll help us against LSU, just some of that cohesive team hitting like that. But the, the thing I'm the most curious to see here is how well our pitching staff is able to limit LSU's offensive production. Um that's in in my mind gonna be the make or break situation for us on if we're actually able to to steal a couple games from LSU. I mean, they're an outstanding team top to bottom. Um I I, I think we match up with them great. I mean I'm a little biased, obviously, but I think we've got a dang good baseball team too. So, I'm the pitching side of things. I'm I'm curious to see how far our starters can go. They've looked great so far, um, but this is really, in my opinion, going to be the first true test of three full games of can you get your starters to get you four, five, six good innings, um, and then let Hagen Smith go to work, kind of in that closer spot. This this would be a a series that I'd really like to have Brady back, but. Um, Hagan's an outstanding talent he can kind of do whatever you ask him so pitching is going to be the thing that I'm I'm really curious to see who comes out and has the best pitching rotation between the two teams I think that'll be where you where you really see these games decided is who can come out and have the, the most successful outings out of their starters and their bullpen
0: yeah I agree with that I think that's like you said that that Pitching piece has been that question mark kind of since Arlington and those first few games where we struggled a little bit as far as the bullpen goes. So, you know, finding that consistency, especially against a very tough, very good LSU team, especially in SEC play. So, yeah, we'll see who steps up, if we can find some consistency there. And, you know, like we said, have some luck there and get the win. So – with that, we'll jump on to some upcoming events with Arkansas men's tennis taking on Central Florida on March 22nd. You have Arkansas men's basketball in in the Sweet 16 of the NCAA tournament taking on UConn on Thursday, as we talked about earlier. Um, You have Arkansas women's tennis taking on Vanderbilt on March 24th. Arkansas women's basketball taking on Texas Tech in the round of 16 for the WNIT tournament. Arkansas softball will have a home series against Florida March 24th through the 26th as they come back home from that big win on the road, getting a series win in Tuscaloosa, which they haven't done very frequently just because they're such a tough team. And then you have Arkansas Women's Golf taking on Georgia at the Liz Murphy Collegiate Classic March 24th through the 26th. You've got Arkansas Men's Tennis taking on Florida on March 24th. And then as we just Briefly previewed Arkansas Baseball Series at number one LSU March 24th through the 26th. You have Arkansas Men's Tennis at South Carolina on March 26th. Arkansas Women's Tennis versus Kentucky on March 26th. Then Arkansas Baseball will be back home for a midweek series against, or not midweek series, but a single game versus Omaha on the 28th. And then you have our Arkansas Gymnastics team in the Stillwater Regional for the NCAA gymnastics tournament where they'll be paired up with Oklahoma, Ohio State, and either ball state or north North Carolina State, as they'll have like a play play-in meet essentially. So a lot of Arkansas events coming up, you know, big of big time events as we mentioned, you know, both men and women's playing in postseason play coming up this weekend, the big baseball series with LSU. So, you know, a lot of good Arkansas sports to watch over the weekend if you can find the time for that. And so as we'll transition now, you know, our Hog Talk segment, we've got a great guest for you today. This guest played for Arkansas from 1988 to 1993 for Coach Nolan Richardson. He averaged 28 minutes per game, was named an All-SEC player in his senior season. And for his career, he averaged 6.6 points per game, 50.5% fifty point five percent field goal percentage, eighty-two point three percent from the free throw line, and forty-four point four percent from the three point range. With that being said, we're gonna have on this week's Hog Talk segment, former Razorback Daryl Hawkins. So we'll take a quick break and then we'll bring we'll be back with you to have that interview.
2: You know what I like? I like to be comfortable. I also love representing my favorite sports teams and in the clutch i am able to have the best of both worlds In the clutch apparel is your one stop shop for all things sports they have officially licensed gear from all your favorite teams and players from the nhl mlb nfl and more. they have sports classic tees from yesteryear and beyond Check out their full website in the link down below. When you enter the promo code Sports, you get 10% off everything site-wise. Feel comfortable with your sports apparel and go over to their website now at endtheclutch.com. And don't forget to use our code Sports to get 10% off.
0: Alright, we're excited to welcome to this episode. This week's episode of Whoopig Weekly in the Hog Talk segment, Daryl Hawkins.
2: So let's start off with you. How are you doing? Doing great. How are you guys doing today? Doing good.
0: So, you know, played for the Razorbacks. So what, what what are you up to now? how's life? You know, what what's going on in your day-to-day?
2: Oh, well, just uh, you know, married, got two beautiful girls, beautiful wife, um, you know, working every day. I teach uh business classes at uh, Elsick High School here in uh, Houston, Texas. And, um, you know, I work with uh, John Lucas, who's the uh, associate head coach of the Houston Rockets and uh, uh, helping with uh, his uh, AAU program. Uh, We basically uh, are under Nike, EYBL, uh, basically one of the top EYBL programs programs in the country. So um, I get a chance to do that. That fills my basketball bug. And then uh, just, you know, spending time with my family and just hanging out being – I guess the old man, the old dad. Somebody's got to do it, man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I got to do it. I got to do it right, man. I get in trouble. You know, my wife's listening, so I better say something good. There you go. Get those brownie points. You know know how that is. Get those brownie points. Yes, sir. Yeah, so I think
0: one of the first questions I think a lot of people like to get the answer to is, you know, from your perspective.
2: For you, what was it like playing for Coach Nolan Richardson? Oh, man, um, you know. What is there not to like? You know, I was very blessed. Uh, guys, you got to think of, you know, there's the, uh, the Mount Rushmore of uh, college basketball coaches, and you just can't put four up there, you know, but I guarantee you put 10 up there. You know, Coach rickson's one of them, you know, you know, took me from being a young man uh, to basically taking me to become a man on and off the basketball court and uh, the knowledge that he put on me as far as basketball was just amazing. And then playing that style fit me perfectly. I mean, not everybody gets to play for a coach where their style fits you perfectly. And that style fit me perfectly, uh, defensively, offensively, allowed me to be me, grow, make mistakes, uh, got on me when he needed to get on me, patted me on the back when, when I needed it. And he did that for everybody. And, um, you know, he, um besides my dad, you know, I was very fortunate, you know, I have my dad, and, uh, you know, I have Coach Nolan Richardson. A lot of people don't even have one. I was blessed enough to have two. <laughs> yeah. So- I like that, man. That's a, that's a great take.
1: Um, leadership like that can go a long way in, in young guys' lives for sure. So it, it, I know Nolan, Richard had, Nolan Richardson had an impact on so many players back then in the day that that you look at some of their lives now, it's, it's pretty impressive some of the lives that those guys are
2: leading that Nolan had such an impact on. Oh, no doubt about it. I mean, you know, um, just for the four or five years that I was there, you know, I can you know, start reeling the names off. You know, Todd's coaching, uh, Lee's coaching, you know, Corliss is doing his thing, coaching, Scotty's coaching. Uh, uh, truck is uh, Arlen Bowers, you know, uh, Fire uh, chief and fire department in Memphis. Warren Lynn worked for Fortune 500 company. You know, the list just can go on. And Ken Biley, uh, Robert Shepard playing and coaching overseas, I mean, Cannon Whitby. I mean, you know, those are the guys that I was with and the success story, Clint McDaniel, Corey Beck. I mean, you know, and just, just look at the lives that he's touched and the successes. And there's even, you know, you know, we all go through tragedies and things in life, but, um, you know, he made everyone that was in our program a better person and gave us a shot to be successful in life. I mean, what more else can you ask for?
0: Yeah. That, that, that's amazing to hear. and you know, so getting into a little bit, you know, did um, you know, you know, they called the hit that offense in that time the forty minutes of hell. so you know you know what was that that like you know, practicing to get ready to play like that
2: okay, guys, I'm gonna go you know, and coach's not gonna mind because you know you got his book, you can read his book, but forty minutes of hell was not the game. Forty minutes of hell was the first forty minutes of practice. It was non-stop, you know. You know, nowadays, you know, you have to give them a break, get walk, you know, do all that. You know, it was 40 minutes from the beginning to the end. And we got conditioned to where we could go 40 minutes straight without a break. It was a thing called second wind. We catch our second wind. You know, we knew we were getting tired, but we knew we were looking for that second wind. Once we caught the second wind, it was a wrap. It was over. So that first 40 minutes of practice was nonstop, pure hell, had nothing to do with the game. So in the game, no matter who we played, we knew eventually they were gonna they, they were gonna die. Now it was, was it gonna be the 15 minute mark, the 20 minute mark, 25, 30. We knew sooner or later they were gonna quit. And then we knew we had them. So that's what 40 minutes of hell was, guys. I love it.
0: Yeah, that's that, that that's incredible. You know, and it's like you said, you know, so many of those teams, you know, like you said, you know, you get into their legs, you know, it's over.
1: I think the depth of, some of those Nolan teams back in the day had was was uh pretty crucial, being able to make that possible too. But man, it was uh, unfortunately I was a very young kid during a lot of those those deep runs. I, I barely remember any of that at all. Um, but just going back and watching highlights and watching game film and stuff, um, there's not been many teams that look like that since then. Uh, that was uh, some incredible style of play. That, that really kind of changed the world of
2: college basketball in my mind um i'll be told honest. i think that i think that that style still could exist it's just going to take some courage in 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 in, in, in allowing uh, a coach to develop that mentality this is such a win-now microwave society um it doesn't allow you to get eight nine guys uh to where you can do that um, you know, they want you to get the top freshman, the top transfer portal guy. And, you know, you're playing with four or five guys. Um, and it's it's hard it's hard to play that way because four or five guys can't play that way. You've got to have four or five on the bench that you trust just as much to put in the game and do that as everybody else. The one thing that I noticed, and, and understand me, I'm not disrespecting, you know, coaching what we did and anything like that. But if you look at the upset that um, from Purdue, um Fdu. What that coach did with those guards, he pressed them the whole time. He warmed down. Okay, he only had six or seven deep, but he never stopped doing it. So he took advantage, and by the end of the game, those little freshman guards—they had they didn't want the ball. They were turned over left and right, and that—and that was a good. And I imagine. And look, he did it with six. He had nobody over six five. Nobody. So he ran them the whole time. And what a lot of people don't realize is Coach Richardson started off in El Paso. So when he started winning his championships in high school, he that's how he got his thing. He didn't have big kids to play. He started off with little kids that could run all down all over the place. And so that's what he did. So that's why when he got to Arkansas, oh, he got six, six, seven, six, eight Todd Day, six, six Daryl Hawkins, six three Lee Mayberry, six nine big O, who can get up and down if we want to run. Six seven Cornelius Williamson, six two Clement. Now He's got the size with the athletes to run the system. So I don't know why a lot of coaches don't try to integrate that in today's game. Yeah. And, you know, you threw out names, you know. So
0: what, for you, what was it like playing with guys, like you mentioned, like Scotty Thurman, Corey Beck, Corliss Williams? What was it like to play with those guys?
2: Well, I mean, um, you know, I'll, I'll say this to the end of time. Um, you know, the teams that we had with Todd Lee, O. You know, Mario credit those guys. Uh, you know, I love Corus and Scotty them to death. I love them to death. They're like my little brothers because I was a senior when they were freshmen. So I, I feel I had some kind of impact on them understanding the culture and what we're supposed to do and how you're supposed to be Razorbacks. backs. And um I uh, to this day, I I'll take us, I'll take our 90 team versus their 94 championship team, and they won't win. <laughs> it might not even be close.
1: I love it, man. That's the kind of confidence I like to hear.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and they know I'll say that to them. So, it, it's not a – you can stream it or whatever it's going to be streamed and they see it. <laughs> you know, we, we still talk. Polish by the way, man. I can't believe you said that. We're Polish, you know, it's the truth. Yeah. And so, you know, I know through that era
0: with Nolan, you know, for you know all the years you were there, you know, y'all played in the NCAA tournament every year you were at Arkansas. So, did that almost – become for, as far as internally for you guys expected every year that, you know, y'all were going to come in and y'all were going to go
2: make a run in the tournament? It was a norm. It became a norm. Um, our, our freshman year, you know, we were fortunate enough to go, Uh, I believe it was Indianapolis, the RCA Dome. Now, mind you, I'm just a young kid, little little, little 17, I'm an 18 year old kid from Waller, Texas, Prairie View, Texas. Probably the biggest crowd ever played in front of was maybe a thousand people. So you know, during that year, you know, I had to, had to get some growing pains to learn how to do with it. So um, here I am playing in front of sixty thousand in the RCA Dome um, against um, Loyola Marymount, and Billy Packer and Larry Nance are on the court. And I'm sorry, I was just like, I cannot believe I'm getting ready to play in the NCAA tournament, and Billy Packer and Le- and Nance are right there. And so you know, we you know, we be, were able to beat them. We lost to Louisville uh, with a uh, LeBratford Smith, no Texas guy, and never nervous, Purvis Ellison. I mean, you guys will know about that guy. And after that, you know, it became a norm where we were just like, we're going every year. It wasn't even, you know, it wasn't even a, a thought, you know, we weren't even worried about election Sunday, except for where we were going to be seated at. So that's, and I was blessed. I was blessed, you know, I gave my little bit to contribute to it, but I never would have been there if it wasn't for, you know, Coach Richardson and the great coaches that we had, Mike Anderson, uh, Wayne Stellick, uh, Scott Edgar, um, you know, just so many great coaches and great teammates I was able to be a part of. I, I, I truly had a blessed, blessed life when it comes to uh, my college basketball career. I think that kind of speaks to some of the the culture that, that Richardson mm-hmm. built there.
1: Where those expectations kind of came along just kind of from the the previous success. And that's that's really how you build that that championship team. It's gonna you have that expectation and you actually kind of fulfill that expectation each year. A championship's gonna come one of those one of those times. Kind of hoping that the the must buzz can kind of follow that same pattern. You you keep making it making it to that sweet 16 a few years in a row. One of those times you're gonna break through and, and hit that championship game.
2: Oh, there, there, there's no, there, there's no doubt about it. Um, I was talking to, I uh, did an interview this morning, and um, I was just trying to let them understand there, there are over 350 Division One programs. To make it to the NCAA tournament, you're the top 68. To make the win the first round, now you're the top 32. To get to the Sweet 16, we're talking about the country. You, you've already been successful. You're successful right now. Arkansas, whoever, Texas, Creighton, UCLA, they can lose. They had a great year. They had a great year. Now, to make it to the Final Four is, honestly, making it to the Final Four is almost like winning the national championship. I agree. I definitely agree I, I, I mean, it's all because it's so tough to get there because you're playing the best teams in the country. Even when they have bad days, they're still good. So, um, you know, now that w- w- what Musk is doing is outstanding. You know, I've been up there. I've been able to go to his practices. I, I, you know, I communicate with him. And, you know, he's doing a great job uh, with those guys uh, developing a uh, a reputation. I like to call it a reputation because, you know, when a program has a reputation, you know what to expect. You know what the minimum is going to be. And the minimum is, is is being in the top 25 every year uh, competing for an SEC championship and having the opportunity to put yourself in a position to get to the Final Four and win a national championship. And he's done that. He's done a great job. I agree with that for sure. I think uh,
1: one thing that, that kind of backs up that take as far as, if you make it to the Final Four, you can, I mean, it's so hard to get there because the tournament, the way it's set up, is single elimination. There's no room for error at no. all. So so getting to that point, um, you, you kind of got to take that in, into the back of the Consideration—it's not a double elimination or anything like that at all. It's not like baseball where you got three-game yeah. series and things like that, where y'all you can drop a game, but normally yep. the better team prevails. You know, anybody can lose in any, on any given day, so you have to kind of strive for that perfection in the tournament. So making to that final four is a huge testament. Yeah,
2: exactly. Ask Purdue because I guarantee you, Purdue say we'll play FDU ninety hundred times. They're going to beat them ninety-nine. Just so happened one time they lost March Madness. Yeah, yep. that's true. You
0: know, and that kind of, you know, I saw where, you know, Hogs Plus, they they showed you post-game, you know, kind of speech to the guys in the locker room, you know. So what, what are you seeing out of this team right now, especially where they're at with the ups and downs they've had this season? You know, it seems like they're really coming together right now.
2: Well, I'm um, follow up, you know, I'm, I'm a to raise back. So, you know, we continue to follow them. And, you know, there were great expectations going into this year. You know, let's be honest, uh, coming off the Elite Eight last year, and then, you know, how much loaded up this year with these great players, you know, Rick, you know, Smith and, you know, Black and Brazil, all these guys, and just putting them together. Uh, he does a really, really good job of that. So the expectations were high. Um, they reminded me a little bit of the uh, the 92 team that I played with Corliss and Scottie. Um, You know, we, we beat Memphis the first uh, game of the year. They were like, you know, high. We weren't ranked. And we went to Arizona to beat them. And then Corliss got hurt. And Cor- we were out with Corliss for a long time. And uh, by the time we got Kulis back, I remember Coach Tristan always said, hey, guys, it doesn't matter. As long as we start playing good uh, by the end of February, we'll be okay. And then we started to click, and that's when we started to get it. They remind me of that a lot. You know, you know, Nick was able to come back um, to try to get back into the mix. And the thing about it is, is he got back and, you know, probably got into it, but then he's going to get that little rough patch. Well, now you say, can we survive the rough patch, which was the SEC tournament? Well, they survived that. And that's why I believe that uh, the win that they got in Iowa, That was the first time the entire team was together. They had a pressure cooker, which is Kansas. And can't say anything, it's Kansas. And the adversity that they showed, you know, uh, uh, Davis files out, um, you know, and, you know, Musk makes the move and goes with the guys that had been playing 20, 30 games all year and they pull it out. So, you know, the heart and the fight that they showed, I was excited for them, Um, just proud of them and letting them know that, hey, you just proved that you can withstand any type of adversity. Um, just keep doing what you're doing.
1: I think that really showed in some of the post-game interviews with Devo. Obviously, he was emotional. Nick Smith was emotional after that game. I think that that game was a uh, true testament to some of the adversity that they've gone through kind of all year long. And then just in the tournament itself so far, Um yeah, I think everybody pretty much left it all out on the floor. I don't think anybody had anything left in the tank after that game. That was <laughs> – I know as a fan just watching it on my couch, I didn't have anything left in my tank to watch it. I was like, dude, I'm so stressed out. I'm, I can't
2: take any more of this. I'm just glad we came out with a win. But you
1: know, I was in
2: I'm – I'm, I'm in the tunnel. I'm in the tunnel watching the game. So, I'm in the tunnel, you know, directly across from, you know, parallel uh, with their bench. So, I'm seeing and hearing everything. You got uh, – we got Texas in the tunnel. They're getting ready to come out. i got Arkansas fans, like, right next to me. So we're all talking. And, um, you know, the energy in that building was just, you know, nothing is will ever be like Barnhill. But that was pretty close. <laughs> <laughs> That's
1: pretty yeah. close.
2: That's pretty close.
1: Yeah. Got to give a shout-out to all the Hog fans that traveled up
2: there, too. Oh, man. Look, let me tell you something. So I was up there, you know, I was watching the games. And um, – Tonight, some friends and everything I was talking about, they were like, oh man, you know, uh, Kansas is gonna have the home court advantage. Kansas have a home court and I'm saying, man, let me tell y'all something. That thing's gonna be split 50-50. The Hogs are coming. And I said, don't let them get a lead. I said, then it's gonna be like, it's a Razorback home game. And as uh, sure as my name is Daryl Hawkins. <laughs> when the tide turned, Pig Suey was up in the house. and <laughs> didn't know what to sir. do. <laughs> yes, sir.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And so kind of after that, win, you know, seeing, you know, we got, you know, headed to Vegas, you know, what what's your, your, your perspective or your preview on that, this upcoming matchup with UConn?
2: Well, let me tell you something right now, you know, UConn was ranked number one in the country for a long time this year. So, you know, they've got the talent, they've got an outstanding coach, you know, Hurley can coach, the whole family can coach, you know what that's about. And, um, so you know it's going to be a tough game. The thing about this is that UConn is starting to put it together again. You know they got to the point that they lost some games. They were almost out to top twenty-five, and you know they did some soul searching and they 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 had a pretty good Big East tournament and they're playing really good basketball right now. Um, so um, and Arkansas is playing great basketball right now. So what you're getting ready to run into is, um, as I stated earlier in the show that I did this morning, uh, everybody right now is can um, win. There, there's not a team in the Sweet 16 that I don't believe that could actually go all the way. The thing that's gonna make the difference is what team imposes their will, their uh, their philosophy. I mean, UCLA basketball team, the way they're playing right now, even though they lost their guard, they got the other guy that stepped up that's playing. Really good. Gonzaga's doing great. You know, Timmy's been there before, you know, he's hungry, he's ready to get it done. Texas is doing an amazing job. We got Roddy Terry, who's the head coach. And I'll be honest with you, when I look at the teams across the board, They're the closest thing that reminds me to how we play. They're deep at guard. They play great defense. They've got athletic ability. Creighton is playing great basketball right now. Um, You know, there's Alabama. So, I mean, there's not a team, I don't think right now, that if they impose their will and their philosophy works, they can win. If Arkansas gets out there and they get to the basket and finish and knock down a couple of threes, because, you know, they're not a great three-point shooting team. But if they can knock some threes down, then that's going to make Connecticut have to come out and guard them. And Connecticut can't guard them. one-on-one. One. They'll get to the basket and finish. So that favors Arkansas. But if Connecticut gets to their floor of the game, and Arkansas is not knocking any shots down, that's going to favor Connecticut. I
1: like the preview. That's a good take. We were kind of talking about that earlier. Um, I think we match up with them pretty well as far as size goes. They got oh. their big down low that we'll have to try, to try to kind of limit him, kind of how we did like Sheboy in that Kentucky game. That's a, kind of a good example there. But they got some guards that can really hit threes, but we've well, got thing- big guards with a lot of length that I think we'll actually be able to kind of close out on that a little bit more so than maybe they've seen all year. So I'm hoping we kind of, like you said, impose our will as far as on the closeout game and kind of prohibit their perimeter game.
2: But well, one thing about Mussey is really good to find the missing match. The one thing I noticed about um, coaching, whether the NBA, college, high school, whatever it may be, the coaches that um, really, um, you know, I really pay attention to and watch, when they find a mismatch, they keep going to it, keep going to it, keep going to it until you change. There are several coaches in the United States that do that at the NCAA level. Muscleman is one of them. If there's a mismatch, he's going to keep pounding you and pounding you and pounding you until you make an adjustment.
0: Yeah. You know, the, and as like you said, you know, as I believe the team may have flown out today. Um, so getting ready, you know, Thursday is the day. Um yeah. we'll like to see us, you know, come out. Big, big big energy. We were talking about. I think you know, it's due up for Nick to have a big game. You know, you know that that rough patch you talked about. You know, we made it through that, so I think maybe you know, get back to Fayetteville, clear your head a little bit, get back, get you know, refocus, and you know, get ready to. It's Vegas, right?
2: It's Vegas. It's Vegas, baby. It's Vegas. And I'll be honest with you, the, the the person who I think is that who's having the most impact on the team is Davis. He's played more NCAA games than probably some of the teams that are out there playing. you So he has experience and I really believe he can be the calming force because I don't care what you say. You can be ranked top three in the country coming out of high school. You can be top 100 ESPN, whatever you want to do. This is the NCAA Sweet 16. And there has to be some kind of calming force because he's never been there. David, he's been there. So he's going to be able to if I, if I know him the way I kind of think, I know him and see what I see, he's going to get those guys calm and ready to say, go well, on, play your game, guys, play your game, and that should be enough.
0: Yeah, I've said all year long he's the heart of this team. You can tell just how emotionally he plays, yet, you know, with that calmness, you know, he, he, he wanted to be a Razorback. He's a Razorback, you know, through and through. So I think it's like you said, he's the heart of this team, and if anybody's going to come and show up, you know, he's going to be your guy.
2: Yeah, a lot of people were saying to me after, you know, the whatever they were saying, you know, you, you know, he, he reminds me of you, Hawk. He reminds me of you, you have to give a Um, I'm not going to take that credit. He reminds me of Corey Beck. That's yeah. who he reminds me of Corey Beck. That's a good comparison. Yeah.
0: So um, kind of as we finish up here, so are are you going to make that trip out to Vegas to
2: watch him in the Sweet 16? <laughs> I'm will. i I'm not going to be able to make that trip, uh, my daughter's got a volleyball game the weekend. So, yeah, I'm going to be on volleyball. I'm be volleyball dad, dude. So, I'm going to be nervous as I'll get it. I think I'm more nervous at her watching her than anything else. So, I'll be at volleyball <laughs> duty. But if they take care of business, I am in Houston. And trust and believe, I will be all over the Final Four. So, if they get on down in Houston, you know, convince the wife to cook them or something, maybe I can get mushroom and bring them over. by. We'll feed them for a little bit. There you go. I like it, man.
0: Hey, that sounds like a good plan. Let's just get them to Houston and, you know, get, to, get there.
2: Get them age time. <laughs> well, hey,
1: man, you you enjoy your dad, duty at the volleyball game, all right, man? Thank you so much for your time tonight. Yeah, we, we, we really appreciate taking the time out to talk to us.
2: Caleb, thank you so much. It was my pleasure. And uh, go Hawks. Speak soon.
1: Yeah, go Hawks. Speak,
2: baby.